I've spent a lot of time on airplanes in the last 10 days. I think I've been on 10 flights uh, in the last week and a half and uh, did a lot of the preparation of this sermon at 36,000 feet, uh, a little closer to heaven maybe. <laughs> and, uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to sit on planes and just somehow you're in the, in, in the midst of all this humanity kind of in a tight, confined space. But on the other hand, it feels very private and solitary. And uh, so a lot of time to pray and think through this challenging text. Um, as we come to read from Genesis chapter 22, I would uh, like to remind you of some of what Tricia led us to consider uh, from the, the text she read from James chapter 1 that talked about how the testing of our faith produces patience. Patience, perseverance will have its perfect work in us. Uh, the song we sing, sang, the last song, that says, but we will never prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. Genesis chapter 22. I, I, can I just say, this is, a, this is kind of a keystone text in, in the Old Testament and in the Bible as a whole. And you know that because it's referred to several times in the New Testament directly. And we know that all of Scripture is given by God. All of it is inspired and profitable to us. But there seems like there are some texts that have particular weight uh, because they are referred to in various places. And this is one of those, those texts. Genesis 22, verse 1 after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb 
for a burnt offering, my son. So they, they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behold behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth become be, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. It is difficult, but this is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Father, This is one of those difficult texts, terrible texts in many ways uh, that you have used to form your church, your kingdom. And we ask that you would speak to us by your spirit today. Lord, uh, I know I'm going to be listening right alongside all of your people who have gathered here today. Would you, would you guide what I have to say? Would you... Would you allow us together to hear what you have to say by your spirit, through your word, for your glory, for our benefit, for the good of your kingdom. Amen. We tend to fear we'll be forgotten. I mean, it's not the first thing we think of every day. It's not the most dominant thought that we experience, but it's there. The sense that we might be forgotten, this knowledge of our mortality, the limit of our days, and so we have this sense in us that we want somehow to live a life that has some 
impact, to be memorable in some way, to leave a legacy so that we're remembered after we're gone. And often we experience that or, or, or think of that, many of us, through our children. This is uh, something we observe in politics, you know, where if you have the right last name, you know, you can leave a political legacy, you know, a name like Bush or Clinton or Trump or Trudeau. We see it in business. Some of the great dynastic families like the Gettys and the Rockefellers and the Molsons, we see that dynamic portrayed recently in a critically acclaimed television program, Succession. The whole idea that, that we, we have this legacy we want to leave. We don't want to be forgotten. We want to use our children to keep our name alive because we fear we might be forgotten. We see the same thing in the Bible with Abraham in this case and his son Isaac his only son, the son that came late, the son that came with laughter, the son that came with a promise. But through this son, God would bless the world and the nation that would be produced would outnumber the stars in the heavens, the sand, the grains of sand on the seashore. But that promise would be tested as we have read in this passage. God tested Abraham. Said to him, Abraham, he said, I'm here. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, you know, the one that you love. Take him to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of your, the mountains of which I shall tell you. The land of Moriah. We're not really sure where that is. Uh, there, there is a tradition that Moriah, the Mount of Moriah, was uh, the, what we know today as the Temple Mount, the, the Dome of the Rock in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, which is also uh, traditionally also understood to be the place where the threshing floor of Arauna was. Uh, you might recall, recall several months ago, uh, we were talking about that place. And it might be that that's the case. It would be kind of cool. Uh, the only problem with that is that um, we understand from study of history that Jerusalem was already a city at this time. And uh, so it would seem strange that he would talk about this land of Moriah uh, when the city of Jerusalem already existed. It's not a big deal. It's a place to which Abraham was called to make a, a tremendous sacrifice. And Abraham was, despite these, these terrible words, these, these, uh, this horrible calling, Abraham was obedient. He rose up early in the morning. He, he prepared. He saddled his donkey, took two of his young servants with him, his son, Isaac, of course. He prepared 
the wood for the burnt offering. He took all that was needed. They went together to the place of which God had told him. And they were there for a little while. It was on the third day that Abraham lifted up, up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Three days to bear the burden of that calling. Three days to equivocate, to argue with yourself, to question the veracity of the call, the importance of it, the terror of it. As he saw the place, Abraham said to his young men, okay, you, you guys stay here. I'm going to take the boy and we're going to go over there and we are going to worship and we're going to come again to you. That's interesting. We're going to go over there and I'm going to put my son to death in obedience to God. Well, he didn't say that. That might have created a problem. We're going to go over there and worship. And then we're going to come back. Which expresses some of the quality of Abraham's faith. Even then, in the potential for resurrection. I mentioned that uh, this text is picked up several times, several different places, the book of James, uh, uh, the, yeah, the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, suggests that Abraham believed that God could raise from the dead. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he spread it out, just right, laid it, on his son Isaac. You can only imagine how Isaac was feeling. What he was experiencing in this moment. And he took in his hand the fire that they had carried. That's interesting to me. Not quite sure how uh, the fire was gathered, how it was carried exactly. It, it reminds me of, uh, of a passage from that closes out uh, a favorite book of mine. Uh, Cormac McCarthy is, a, is an author I have appreciated. And at the end of his book, No Country for Old Men, he describes a dream between a father or, or a son uh, who is dreaming of his father who goes out into a dark in, world full of evil, carrying the fire in a horn as he rode horseback. They carried the fire. And, Isaac, and Abraham took that fire and the knife and went both of them together. And Isaac is getting a little concerned, as you might imagine. My father, he said, I'm here. Abraham said, I, I, I see the fire. 
I see the wood. In fact, you know, like you're doing a strange thing <laughs> with that wood. Help me out here. I'm not seeing a lamb. Where is the lamb for the offering? As a father myself, I can only imagine what it must have cost Abraham to express this fearful faith. Expressed in these words. God will provide the lamb. And at that moment, Abraham lifted up the knife and prepared himself to bring it down upon his son, his only son, Isaac, the one he loved. And in a dramatic moment, as he was about to bring it down, God stepped in and brought his angel, the angel of the Lord, who called out to Abraham, 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 here I am, he said. The angel says, don't lay your hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he heard the bleeding of, of a ram and he looked and there caught in the thicket was the provision of God for the sacrifice, for the offering, the lamb that had been promised. God will provide the lamb. Faith that fears will affirm the future. It's, it's, <laughs> I gave the story to you pretty straight, uh, but it's hard to read. A, a, a couple of things to notice here. Uh, one thing about this connection between faith and fear and this other thing about how God provides this uh, faith and fear, the faith that fears, I should say, and the God who provides. This idea of fearing God, it's expressed throughout Scripture, lots of different places. Uh, we're told that the, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and I don't know about you, but I've almost purposefully not read that word too closely because it's fearful. <laughs> so when I have 
read those texts about fearing God, I've tended to think in terms of reverence and respect. Like to fear God is to be reverent before him, to respect him. And I think that's true. But if there's nothing at stake, there's not much to respect. I mean, respect and reverence have currency when there's something on the table here. And I think we have to be careful not too quickly to uh, discount the weight of what's being suggested here. I mean, we, we have typically... I mean, it's pretty common among us, and, and I see evidence even in my own life, where, where we have done a pretty good job of taming God. I mean, we don't often expect God to ask this much of us, really. I mean, we, we appreciate that God is available to us. You know, in, in some of the Old Testament texts, they talk about the, the other nations that they found in Canaan, and, and they would have these household gods. You remember that expression? A house, I think sometimes I've turned my God into a household God. You know, the, so he's, he's kind of like an appliance that I can take off the shelf whenever I need him. He's useful to me. And, and for that, I'm grateful. But I don't expect him to ask that much of me. I don't expect him to ask this much of me. Which is to say, I'm not sure how much I have truly feared him. But faith is not full until it fears. I'm going to say that again. Faith is not full until it fears. Now I know, God said, that you have feared me because you have not withheld from me your only son. The faith that fears. The God that provides. Where is the lamb for the offering? Father, God will provide the lamb. This is incredible because if you know something about the book of Genesis, if you've tracked the story, uh, you'll know just how important Isaac was. I mean, Isaac, this son, this only son, was fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 15. 
that out of, of this birth, there would be the production of this great nation that would go out and would bless the world forever, outnumbering, as I said, the stars in the sky. We, we continue reading here in chapter two, 22, outnumbering the grains of sand on the seashore. I went out this morning preparing and praying for this, and I, as I often do, walked the seawall and, and stood on the beach and looked down at the sand. I, I, I took up a handful of sand, just a, actually not even a full handful, just, just a little bit, and I, I tried to isolate in my vision the grains, and I tried to count them, just a small handful of sand, very quickly got into the, the dozens and the hundreds. And I suspect in that little handful that was hundreds of thousands of grains of sand. And I tried to imagine them as each one individually. Because when God made this promise, he wasn't speaking hyperbole. He was speaking truthfully about the people that he would call to himself across history from every tribe and tongue and nation. The people represented as, as grains of sand and yet individual people that he would love and he would provide for and, and he would die for. Each grain of sand. All dependent on this one individual child, Isaac, who God is now asking to be sacrificed. You remember the story, some of you, when, when God made the promise to Abraham and to Sarah, and what'd they do? They laughed. Are you kidding me? Do you know how old we are? How barren we are? They laughed. And then the child was produced and they rejoiced. And now this. <laughs> but God would provide he provided the son in Sarah's barrenness. He, he provided the lamb just at the moment it was needed. And the same God who provided the son, who provided the lamb, will provide the nation that would see the kingdom come for all eternity. How much of that Abraham understood in that moment as he held the knife above his son, I am not sure. But he believed God. He, he believed that God, who had made the promise, who had provided the son, would see this through thing is, I've probably said this to you before, but faith, 
this fear-filled faith. We, we use the word faith so glibly. We talk about ourselves as people of faith. Really? How far does that go for us? We, we, we talk about faith like it's this abstract theological conception when what it actually means is that we will take action in the world. Fear-filled action. But we will do it in the confidence that we have a God who is at work in the world to see his kingdom come and he's doing what he's doing according to his own wisdom which far transcends our own and we believe that and so we will act upon it. I did a crazy thing yesterday, several times actually over the last few days. I got into a metal contraption that flew 36,000 feet in the air and I stayed up there for five hours. Am I insane? Tell you the truth, I didn't even think about it. Because I have faith in Air Canada. <laughs> and they've never failed me yet. <laughs> you know? See, faith, it's all about the object, right? And how much confidence you put in it. Abraham had a lot of confidence in his God. We're going to go over there to worship for a while. We'll be back later. I mean, this is, this is, as I've said a couple of times, this is a, a terrible, you know, text. As some uh, theologians have said, it's a text of terror. I think we need to read it that way, not read it too quickly. I think, you know, I, I know there's a danger in reading these ancient texts with our contemporary sensibilities, and it is true that in the ancient world, this idea of ritual sacrifice was much more common. And, uh, and yet, I, <laughs> you can't sugarcoat this. You can't write it off. It's, it's God called Abraham to give his son, and God knew exactly what he was asking. The fourfold encouragement. Your son, your only son, Isaac, the one you loved. God knew exactly what he was asking. I, I don't want to let, let God off the hook too quickly, you know. There's a big, horrible, terrible ask. I mean, there's part of me who wants to say, oh, yeah, but it's no big deal because God wasn't really going to ask it of him. Like, like the, he knew he was going to provide the lamb and, and it was all going to be okay. Yeah, it's true, but he still asks. I mean, it helps to know that God had a plan. And to that 
and to see that that plan resulted in joyfulness. To see that that plan resulted in a kingdom, a promise fulfilled. It helps also to know, helps greatly to know from Romans 8.32 that God is the one who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. God asked nothing of Abraham that he did not ask of himself. Of his son Jesus. The, uh, The one to whom Isaac only pointed. It helps. In Romans 12, the call on you and I is that we present our own selves, our bodies, and all we have, our family, our children, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual act of worship. We're to put ourselves on the altar. Lord, give us strength. Lord, give us courage every day. To trust you to lead us, to Trust you with our children. To know we will not be forgotten in you, but that you are building something great and mighty that will last forever. Despite the evidence of things seen. Hebrews 11 verse one says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. That's the definition of faith, the evidence of things unseen. Our problem is that we are so overwhelmed by the evidence of things seen. The stuff in front of our eyeballs, the, the, the circumstances and challenges and obstacles and even the stuff God asks for us that doesn't make sense to us based on the evidence around us, the physical realities. And these things are overwhelming to us. The evidence of things seen. God calls us to carry the fire. I mentioned Cormac McCarthy. His other book that I really appreciate is this book, The Road, which tells the story of a father and son on a journey. After after some apocalyptic circumstance that resulted in some environmental disaster that has left very few people left on the planet. And it's never stated exactly what happened or why or how, but... uh, 
The story, the entire story is this unnamed father and his son traveling together, trying to get to the ocean, trying to get to the beach. They have this vision in their mind of an opportunity, you know, that maybe if they could get to the coastline, if they could get to the beach, they could somehow find some sense of beauty. Maybe, maybe the sun is shining. They haven't seen the sun in months. They, the whole earth is covered in ash, and the only other humans they've seen are dangerous but they continue on their journey down the road. And as they go, they carry the metaphorical fire. That's the word they use for each other. We're carrying the fire. We're sustaining hope. We're believing that there's something, there's some better future. I don't know if McCarthy read Genesis 22. I don't know him to be a man of faith. This picture of the father and the son carrying the fire. They, they eventually get to the beach, to the coastline, and it's not what they were expecting. Ash blowing over the road. They had, they'd almost nothing left. The boys stood in the road holding the map. They listened, but they could hear nothing. They could see open country to the east. The air was different. Then they came upon it from a turn in the road and they stopped and stood with the salt wind blowing in their hair where they lowered the hoods of their coats to listen. And out there was the beach, gray, with the slow combers rolling dull and leaden and the distant sound of it, like the desolation of some alien sea breaking on the shores of a world unheard of. And out on the tidal flats lay a tanker half careened. Beyond that, the ocean vast and cold and shifting heavily like a slowly heaving vat of slag. And then the gray squall line of ash. The father looked at the boy and he could see the disappointment in his face. I'm sorry it's not blue, he said. It's okay, said the boy. Do you think there could be ships out there? I don't think so. They wouldn't be able to see very far. No, they wouldn't. What's on the other side? Nothing. There must be something. Maybe, maybe there's a father and his little boy and they're sitting on the beach. That'd be okay. Yes, that would be okay. And they could be carrying the fire too. They could be, yes. <laughs> Sorry, it's depressing. <laughs> I wonder, you know, Abraham and Isaac in that moment the father and the son, trying to sustain hope. And it must have looked pretty bleak. But they carried the fire. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. 
And can you keep a secret? Um, I hope you can keep a secret. You don't know my daughter. And so she, I, I asked, I texted her this morning, can I tell them? Because <laughs> they don't know you. And, and she said, okay, as long as they don't tell anybody else. <laughs> I'm going to be a granddad again. <laughs> Thank you. Just, just found out yesterday. It's, it's an, I know we're not all parents here. We all have had parents, so there's that. <laughs> I started off by talking about this desire, though, this kind of longing in us to kind of leave a mark that lasts forever, to see something built out of our lives that's going to matter, that we'll be remembered by. And so often we, we process that by this idea of family. You know, a, a marriage, uh, children. But I'll tell you, and many of you know this, being a father, being a mother, it's a fearful thing. I mean, we love our kids, but we can't control them. At least not for very long. And uh, I look at these little grandchildren, these little babies that, I have the joy of holding in my arms these days. And I wonder, you know, where's it going for them? Who are they going to be? What are they going to believe? What are they going to do? How is God going to bless them? I think of my children and I, I wonder, you know, like how prepared am I to let go of them? To trust God for them and to believe that he will provide the lamb. It's a fearful thing to be a parent. Parents are people of faith. It's like I said to you probably a year or so ago. We don't have faith in our children because we know how that's going to go. We have faith in God for our children and for each other. So carry the fire. Be people of hope next time you have a chance to look into the eye of your children if you have them realize the love and promise of God for them and when they disappoint you which they will when you disappoint them which you will. Know that there is a God who has his hand on the whole thing. And he's leading us in ways that we can only imagine to build something beyond what we can imagine that will be big and mighty and powerful, the kingdom of God that more 
plentiful than the grains of sand on the shore, than the stars in the sky. Lord, give us that faith. That fear-filled faith.